and welcome to the Renew Your Thinking podcast series. In a world filled with many different viewpoints and opinions, these podcasts will examine issues, current events, historical events, and cultural movements, all in the light of God's Word. Our goal is to help you as you seek to love and serve God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. In this first series of stories, we will study about some significant historical figures. In the next nine podcasts, we'll talk about women in the Old Testament, specifically the women who were the ancestors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, there was a long line of women who came before Jesus in his family tree. But we'll focus on the stories of the women who are named in the Bible, starting with Eve, then Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, and we will finish the series with Jesus' mother, Mary. While telling these women's stories, we'll be taking a trip through the Old Testament. We will see how they fit into God's plan of redemption through His Son, Jesus Christ. Each woman's story is unique and interesting. What they share in common, besides being ancestors of Jesus, is that they were all faithful women. We'll always read the stories directly from the scriptures to avoid confusion and misinformation. I'll be reading from the New International Version of the Bible for those who are following along. Let's take a moment to review. We have been studying about the women who were the foremothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think any of these women knew that they were chosen by God to be the ancestors of the Savior but they all faithfully followed God in their callings as wives of the patriarchs. So far we have talked about Eve, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah. Leah, her sister Rachel, and their two handmaidens, bore twelve sons and one daughter to Jacob. Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah were all wives of the first three patriarchs of God's chosen people. They all lived in the land of Canaan. God had promised that this land of Canaan, where they were living, would belong to Abraham's descendants. He had also promised Abraham that his descendants would comprise a great nation. In fact, all of the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. The fulfillment of the promise started out rather slowly. Abraham had only one son, Isaac, who would be able to carry on the family. Isaac had two sons, only one of which would be chosen to carry on the promise and the blessings. But then Jacob had twelve sons and a daughter, and finally the real multiplication of the descendants could begin. At last it looked like there would be a chance for Abraham's descendants to number as many as the stars. Now before we turn to our story about Tamar, the unexpected ancestor of Jesus, we need to take a quick tour of chapters 35 through 47 of Genesis. Turn to chapter 35 and be prepared to turn pages. We need to study this background so that we can fully appreciate why Tamar was such an unexpected ancestress of Jesus. God had a plan and he carried it out. In Genesis chapter 35, we see that one day, God told Jacob to move to Bethel. 
There God met with Jacob and spoke to him. He repeated the covenant promise of the land, the great nations that would come from him, and the blessings that had been given to his grandfather Abraham. At this time, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Now Israel and his descendants continued to live in the land of Canaan. Jacob, now Israel, loved his son Joseph more than the other sons. He showed Joseph many favors. The other brothers were jealous, and they thought they would kill him, but instead they sold him to a caravan of Ishmaelites from Gilead. Eventually, the traders took Joseph to Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. Meanwhile, the brothers took Joseph's tunic and smeared goat's blood on it. They had decided to tell their father Israel that a wild animal had killed Joseph. So, at the end of Genesis chapter 37, we have Israel at home, grieving because he thinks that Joseph is dead. The brothers are just living out their lives, happy that the hated Joseph is no longer there to annoy them with his dreams. Chapter 38 is a story that is told on the side. It is special, and we will come back to it. It is like a sidebar from the main story. The story in chapter 38 happens at the same time that Joseph is in prison, but it is separate. God put the story here for a very special reason that we will come back to as we explore the family tree of Jesus. To pick up the story of Joseph, we will turn to chapter 39. So, meanwhile in Egypt, Joseph was working in Potiphar's household. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to assault her. Joseph was unfairly thrown into prison. God helped Joseph get out of prison when he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. Joseph was given leadership in Egypt, wisely guiding that country through seven years of tremendous harvests and then seven years of famine. The famine was in Canaan, too. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent ten of his sons there to purchase some. The brothers visited several times. Joseph invited the whole family to come and live in Egypt so they could have food to eat. Eventually, Jacob, or Israel, and the eleven sons who remained at home, the one daughter, Dinah, and the other family members, totaling sixty-six persons in all, joined Joseph, his wife, and Joseph, two sons, totaling seventy persons in all. You can read this in Genesis 46, verse 27. Time went by, and Joseph eventually died. Before dying, Joseph asked his family to take his bones back to their home in Canaan and bury him there. It would be a long time before that happened, because the Israelites remained in Egypt for 400 years as slaves to the Egyptians, and then God raised up Moses to take them out of Egypt back to the Promised Land. Okay, we've just had a very quick trip through the book of Genesis with the general flow of the history of God's people. Let's circle back to what I said about Genesis 38 being a sidebar in the story of Joseph in Egypt and how the Israelites ended up in Egypt. Why do we have a whole chapter, chapter 38, in the middle of the story of the Israelites in Canaan and Egypt? 
What is the Bible doing suddenly talking about just two people, Judah and Tamar? Judah is not the firstborn, so why aren't we talking about the person that we would expect to carry on the line of the patriarchs from Abraham forward? Why do we have the story of Judah and not Reuben? It is because the writers of the Old Testament, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, were giving us not only the details of the history of Israel, but also God's larger plan of redemption. For we find out that Tamar is an ancestress of King David and then of Jesus, and that God's choice in ancestry didn't always go through the firstborn son. In the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, we find out that Jesus was a descendant of Judah and Tamar. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Matthew tells us in chapter 1, verse 3. So the story in Genesis 38 gives us the background to how Judah and Tamar came to be the great-great, ever-so-great-grandparents of Jesus. This story shows us God's great sovereignty over history. It shows us that God's plans worked out just as he foretold through the prophets. Tamar would be in the line of ancestry of the Lord Jesus, along with the many other women chosen by God, including Eve, Sarah, Rebekah, Leah, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Let's look at how Tamar came to be an ancestress of Christ. Turn back to Genesis 38, verse 6. Judah got a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife, and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, he may die too, just like his brother's. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. Tamar was married into Judah's family. Judah was the fourth son of Jacob and Leah. Isaac was his grandfather, and Abraham was his great-grandfather. So Tamar married into the family of the patriarchs. First, Tamar had married Judah's eldest son, Er. Er had displeased God in some way, so God took his life. Then Judah asked Onan to do the duty of a brother-in-law and raise up a child for his older brother. Later, this practice would be codified in the Leveret Law, which is found in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 10. A brother could try and give a child to the widowed sister-in-law so that his dead brother would have an heir. In the book of Ruth, we will see that it can even extend to a near kinsman. Onan, Er's brother, married Tamar, but wasted his seed instead of giving Tamar a child. He was disobeying God's law by doing this, and so God took his life too. Why did Onan do this? 
because his inheritance would be substantially less if he had to share it with Tamar's son. In fact, since Er was the firstborn, the birthright inheritance, which was usually double, would go to Tamar's son, not to Onan, and Onan wanted it for himself. Apparently, Shelah, the third son, was not quite old enough to marry, so Judah sent Tamar home to her father. Judah was afraid to give Tamar to his third son, Shelah, after watching the first two sons die. We're not sure if Judah understood at this time that God took their lives, or if they died of natural causes. Perhaps he even thought that Tamar was some kind of a curse for them. In any event, he sent Tamar away. Tamar remained with her family, wearing her widow's garments, until she had an opportune moment to talk to Judah again. Time went by and Judah's wife died, after which he observed a period of mourning. Then he went back to work caring for his sheep. Someone told Tamar that Judah was going to be nearby soon for the shearing of the sheep. Tamar decided on a plan. She would deceive Judah into thinking she was a prostitute and thereby get the child by him that she had been promised. Look at Genesis 38 verse 14. She, Tamar, took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. It is hard to put ourselves into Tamar's shoes and think about why she would take such a drastic measure to get what she saw was justice for herself. Wasn't she taking things into her own hands? Why didn't she just trust God? What did she think would come of this? This story reminds us of Sarah, who gave her maid to Abraham, and Rebecca, who tricked Isaac into giving Jacob the blessing. Life was complicated for the women in Jesus' family tree. So what shall we say about Tamar? Tamar chose this method to get an heir for her first husband, as promised in the Leveret Law. Tamar did not think of it as incest with her father-in-law. A father-in-law ordinarily may not sleep with his daughter-in-law, we see in Leviticus 18.15, just as a brother-in-law may not sleep with his sister-in-law, from Leviticus 18.16. But in-law incest rules are suspended for the purpose of the Leveret Law. The Levere is, after all, only a surrogate for the dead husband. So in this story, we have a legitimate surrogate husband. Back to the story. So Judah came along and saw an apparently loose woman sitting in a place on the road that signaled that she was available and decided to take advantage of the situation. Apparently, Judah did not have the money to pay for her services. He offered instead to send Tamar a goat from his flock. In the meantime, he left his tribal leader's staff and his personal seal and cord as a pledge. The seal, the cord, and staff had a person's emblem carved on them and were items of great personal worth. Judah said he would send a payment later. Tamar was wise enough to get his seal and cord and staff as a pledge for payment. She also guessed that she would need those proofs later, when and if she got pregnant, 
She was so right. Sure enough, it was discovered that Tamar was pregnant a few months later. Since Tamar was a widow and unmarried, everyone assumed that she had acted immorally. When Judah heard about her, his judgment was severe and to the point. Bring her out and have her burned to death. Judah was told that Tamar was pregnant by harlotry, and he believed their story. After all, Tamar was an unmarried widow. But Tamar was also his daughter-in-law, and he needed to uphold the family honor. So Judah demanded that she be brought out and punished according to the law at that time. She was to be burned. While they were bringing Tamar out, Tamar sent word to her father-in-law that she was pregnant by the man who owned the seal and the cord and the staff that she possessed. Judah recognized them and was humbled. Look at verse 24 for Judah's reply. He said, She is more righteous than I, since I would give her to my son, Shelah. Again, let's talk about the customs of that day. What did the Leveret Law say? The widow could have relations with a brother to get an heir for her husband. In the end, Tamar got Judah to perform the Leveret duty himself. Judah repented when he realized that he was caught in his sin, and he responded the right way. It was a shameful moment, something like that of a later scene between King David and Nathan the prophet, following David's sin with Bathsheba, which we will cover later in 2 Samuel 12, 1-14. Like David, Judah repented when he was confronted with his sin. To Judah's credit also, he acknowledged Tamar's virtue and the error of his own ways. Look again at verse 24. She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. Judah had no more relations with Tamar. He had unwittingly fulfilled the Leveret law himself, and there was no need. He did not realize it at the time, but Judah himself had produced the heir that would continue his line and become an ancestor of the Savior. God blessed Tamar with not one but two sons. She had twins, Perez and Zerah. In fact, the name of Perez became great in Israel and was later used as an example of the blessing for Ruth after she had her son Obed. In Ruth 4, 11 and 12, we read, Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. It was through the line of Perez, Tamar's son, that Jesus would come. Later, we will see the continuation of God's sovereign plans in history leading up to the birth of the Savior when we explore the story of Ruth as another unexpected woman in the lineage of Christ. What can we learn from Tamar's life? A woman in her place and time had very few options. We can't just dismiss her as a terrible sinner. Judah did not. He said that she was more righteous than he was. 
He knew that his sin in not giving her to Sheila as he had promised led her into desperate means. If not for Tamar, Judah's line would not continue. It was his responsibility, and he neglected it. Tamar was an outsider, like Rahab and Ruth, but she was deeply loyal to the family she married into. All three women would preserve the line of ancestry for Jesus by firmly obeying God's calling on their lives. Another lesson for us is the incredible love and mercy of God. God did not reject Tamar either. He made her an ancestress of the Savior, His Son. God works out good, even from our mistakes. But this does not mean that we can presume on God. We must always strive to obey Him without sinning. While the method that Tamar used seems wrong, we live in a sinful world and we should not judge her too harshly. Tamar was truly one of the exceptional women in patriarchal times. God blessed her even as He does all of us sinners. The story of Tamar is the fifth in our sessions about the female ancestors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us next time when we continue with the story of Rahab, the surprising ancestress of the Lord Jesus. We value your input. Be sure to share your thoughts with us by commenting on the podcast. Also, invite your friends to listen in as well by sharing this podcast on social media.